Hello, everybody. This is Brandon Ellis with Elatech and Industrial Automation. It doesn't have to. And I'm sitting here across the table with my co-host, our marketing manager, Miss Beth Elliott. Good morning, Brandon. Good afternoon, everybody. <laughs> good day. <laughs> yeah. We never know what time they're going to listen to this, so good day or night. Uh, it is morning. We're sitting here uh, doing our podcasting session, and it's a beautiful day out. It's uh, actually Friday at this moment, yeah. and so oh. we're looking forward to a rainy weekend. I know. I know. It's so beautiful today. I wish we had a window yeah, in here. <laughs> that's right. Um, so thanks for joining us today. Today we're going to be talking about a bit of a takeaway from our last podcast, at least the last half, which was the last podcast, uh, was industrial automation doesn't have to be manual, uh, which we focused on RPAs. RPA, another acronym, Robotic Process Automation. And so it has nothing to do with robots, as industrial robots, but it is similar to, because I have to get into my zone at some point. So the part B, side B of that, of that, uh, podcast, we talked a bit about collaborative robots. And so that is something we're going to expand on today. So today, season two, episode eight. Go ahead, Beth. Industrial automation, it doesn't have to be menial. Menial. And we discussed menial. Really, it has a focus on the jobs that a collaborative robot can do and honestly allows for reclassification of people that are doing those. It gives them more hours in the day, that kind of thing. Even can make uh, the job safer from an ergonomic standpoint. And so collaborative robots do this well. But we're also going to talk about things that they may not do that well. So we want to look at both sides of the coin on that. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, but before we get into that, there are a couple new employees at Elatech. That's right. Yeah, it's uh, growing. I, I tell you what, the parking lot was almost full. Yeah, we're gonna have to. <laughs> we're gonna have to add on. Yeah. which is a fantastic thing considering the pandemic of 2020 and all the things we've gone through. I was reading today, uh, this morning actually, an article about how we're seeing companies opening back up. We're seeing people going back to work. And so that's great, great news. We're seeing travel. Uh, One of the airlines was announcing that they're hiring pilots again, which is fantastic. Uh, Unless you have to wait in line. If you've been enjoying, (laughs) if you've been flying through this whole thing, you've probably enjoyed no lines (laughs) and basically owning your airline. But, but I think that's going away now. So as, as uh, I guess the vaccines are going out, that's affecting some folks. And then some of us uh, actually went through it and earned our, our uh, antibodies the hard way. Uh, but, but certainly it's good to see that people are, are feeling more comfortable. And uh, boy, it's, it, it's a, it's starting a big, to live again. <laughs> it's a big departure from a year ago. Isn't <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, this time last year, things were really, really uh, dicey. Mm-hmm. So who are our new employees? So let's talk about the new employees. Yes, uh, we have two new employees. And so I'll, I'll announce them based upon start dates. That okay. way yeah. there's no favoritism. <laughs> I'm very happy with both of them. Joe Polakowitz is one of our, is a new mechanical designer, mechanical engineer. Joe's got his degree from the University of Tennessee, Knoxville. All right. Go balls. Uh, that's right. And um, he's uh, got his degree in mechanical engineering as well as aerospace engineering smart fella yeah he he's he's we were i've been really really impressed with him really glad to have him on board and then todd adder todd has is a senior fabricator he's actually more than that he's a machinist and a fabricator so he can weld machine assemble make it happen and todd's been here just just coming up on the end of a week 
and has already made a huge impact. So <laughs> he has, um, as has Joe. Both and, of them, yeah. Uh, and so we're really happy about them being able just to jump in and hit the ground running. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so welcome, guys. If you're if you're listening to this podcast, Joe and and Todd, thank you very much for your for coming and for being part of the team. Absolutely, absolutely. So let's see. Nope. <laughs> Here we go. Thanks for being part of the team. That's that's applause. It, it kind of sounds like rain. It does, but there is somebody yelling. There's somebody yells at the end. Yeah, yeah. So it's like someone yelling in the rain. Kind of. But anyway, okay, so, so that, there you go. All right. All right so let's, let's – You want to get yeah, into the topic today? Go ahead. Let's take us there. So before uh, we go into the collaborative robots – just briefly tell us what the difference is between industrial robots and collaborative robots so the audience has a kind of an understanding of that. If anyone has seen, especially if you've seen commercials, videos, whatever, online of, of the car companies, so the large automakers, you see the big robots that are huge robots that are hanging on the sides and they're coming down and you see weld sparks popping off of the car bodies as they're coming down the assembly line. Uh, those are industrial robots. So industrial robots get very large, and then they're also very they're very much a focus on accuracy and speed. Uh, also, the payloads can be fantastic. They can carry some heavy yeah, stuff. They can move car bodies around. Wow! And so uh, it's all about just mechanical muscle in a very high speed and accurate way. We use them in a lot of different ways, but there's also smaller arms, industrial arms that are still industrial. So what's the difference between that? and a collaborative robot. I have seen situations where an industrial robot can be guarded in a clever way, so it's it's OSHA compliant, using safety light scanners and things of that nature. You have to use a safety light scanner pretty much to do it, but the front part can be mostly unguarded, except guarded by light. Okay. And But it's still industrial. And the difference is an industrial robot has the mechanisms by which to protect itself and potentially protect the end of arm tooling that it's using to do its job, uh-huh. but not to protect people. Okay. And so the force sensors it's it has are much higher, uh, much it, it's more they they take more of an impact before they decide there's a problem. Okay. And so the sensors that are in a collaborative robot are force sensors that are more sensitive, uh, and so they're looking for they're there to protect people. Whereas an industrial robot has sensors that are there to protect tooling and protect itself. But that's a that's a higher grade. You're already damaged if you're a human. So industrial robots can be very dangerous uh, if not guarded correctly. Okay. So are, the, are there any other differences? Well, again, it comes down to industrial robots because they're moving fast, because they're moving accurately, and also because their sensors have a higher level of compliancy. In other words, they'll... They'll deal with, uh, robots can shove through cardboard boxes and keep on going and industrial robots and not even think about it. Oh, um, a collaborative robot would not do that. Well, it has the sensors that should keep it from doing that. Okay. Uh-huh. You can change the sensitivity of those, of those oh. sensors and make, we call it more or less collaborative as far as the safety but in the sensing, but you can't turn it completely off. And okay. so, so yes, a collaborative robot would not necessarily punch through, you know, a, a, a box. Cardboard that, box. <laughs> we actually had an application or a customer that was telling us about uh, they, they package 
parts, and so the robots are just putting parts into cardboard boxes, and they're putting them in in a certain arrangement. And one of the boxes somehow got loaded upside down or on its side or something, so there was no opening for the robot. Oh, and it popped right through. <laughs> it was going to drop it in and it just kept, do its job no matter just what. Just kept putting holes in the side or the top, whatever that <laughs> bottom of that box, and just busted right on through. And and you know the the comment was made. That's why we don't use collaboratives because we need to keep going. <laughs> Uh, because it was from, from a maintenance standpoint, uh, we don't want downtime, you know. Right. And so a collaborative, of course, would have stopped and stopped the operation and somebody would have had to call maintenance and that kind of thing. But so, and the reality is that's not a good application, use application for a collaborative robot in his case, I guess. But industrial robots are, are meant to be strong. And so that means the payloads are generally higher. Not always, it's according to the size, but you can get up to these, I mean, literally move car bodies around. And you're not really going to do that in a collaborative fashion. We talked about in the last podcast, uh, and just to reiterate that analogy, uh, we were all taught as children not to run with scissors, but nobody ever got onto us for running with the Kleenex tissue box. And so it really comes down to how heavy, and of course the scissors are not heavy, but they're sharp, Mm -hmm. so all of your force is pinpointed on a single point. And so all your pounds per square inch are going across a very, very small area, and so it'll inflict damage. Whereas a Kleenex box doesn't have a lot of force in it, as far as mass, and it's also wider and it'll absorb and that kind of stuff. So that's those are the things that come into play when you're doing your risk analysis from a safety standpoint for either industrial or collaborative robots. But between those two, you end up with a list of applications that are really uh, either good or bad for a collaborative or good or bad for industrial. Okay. There's not much that an industrial robot can't do that a collaborative can, except work closely with people. And still, not. I'm going to say it. I've never seen a collaborative robot that's not guarded. All right, take a drink, everybody. There you go. Uh, So... You just don't stick a robot in by people and say, these force sensors are going to be enough. Mm-hmm. I, I haven't met a safety coordinator or an OSHA inspector, anybody that's willing to sign off their name to say, slide that robot in, don't do any additional guarding, and it's going to be fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, they all want some additional guards there, including the light-based guarding. Uh, which is usually what they use, the safety scanners. And so safety scanners, of course, are always scanning, looking out, coming back. It's time of flight on, on the infrared laser light to see if something is coming into its its space. And and if it does, it can get it can be set up programmed to where there's a warning. And then there can be set up and programmed to where there's a an emergency situation. Okay. On an industrial robot, you stop. On a collaborative robot, you get really slow or you stop. Okay. So you don't have to necessarily stop, but you want to get down so slow based upon what you're carrying, get your speeds down. Again, you can walk with scissors. You can't run with scissors. Get your speeds down get all that kind of stuff down uh, so that if a human comes into play, those sensors can can uh, pick up on it and arrest the motion in a safe way versus if it's moving very quickly. Now, is there a is there a cost difference between the industrial robots and the collaborative robots? Well, I mean, if you're gonna if you're, I mean, let's so let's 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 kind of categorize them in to where they both could be considered. You're not going to get a collaborative robot that's moving 
car body or a truck body around. Yeah. So let's compartmentalize all those large, really high payloads. Okay. Uh, so on your smaller payloads, uh, you can actually spend less on an industrial robot than a collaborative. Okay. Um, some of the industrial robots are, are very, very competitive cost-wise. Uh, the cost on, on industrials have come down a long way. Uh, so what's the payoff? What's the difference? Why yeah. would you want to consider a collaborative? Well, everybody, we talk about the safety part of it, uh, but still you're going to have to, you're going to have to guard because of OSHA guidelines, you're going to have to guard the industrial a bit more. So there's going to be hard guarding around certain things. You're definitely going to have safety scanners. You're not going to have an absence of safety. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's going to end up being just because, you know, 99% of the time, there's going to be some amount of hard guarding, some amount of safety scanners, potentially, some amount of light curtains, potentially, things of that nature. Uh, and again, it's according to the size. When we were when we were talking about in our episode, industrial automation doesn't have to be unsafe. We had Dave Rice with DataLogic on as a special guest, and he was talking about uh, the differences between light curtains and and safety scanners with robot cells. But it also comes down to the size of the robot cell, because if a person, if it's a small small robot, the person can't may not be able to enter the space physically. Uh-huh you know, they just can't physically fit their body in there, then that can be handled in one way versus a large robot cell that's as large as a room to where you could actually be in there and and not seen about the light curtains and things of that nature. And so that's where the safety scanners come into play. But compartmentalizing all those to get down to where we are, uh, you can spend less money on an industrial robot. Marketing folks, sales folks yeah. say, yeah, but you make it back up with the guarding and all the safety. Can I say it again? Everybody got their their glass ready. <laughs> I've never seen a clever robot that didn't involve some type of guarding. And so you're going to spend that money anyway. Mm-hmm. So really it comes down to, it does come down to ROI to a point. The other thing is that cobots have, collaborative robots have, that industrial robots do not have, is direct teach capability. That direct teach is, is 100% possible because of those safety force sensors. It allows you to, to have the robot motors powered, but if you can reach up and grab the end of the robot, physically the robot, not mm-hmm. using the pendant, but grab the robot, and you apply a force, those sensors will pick it up. But when it's in that direct teach mode, it will give way and will move with you. So it's kind of a floating posture, almost an anti-gravity posture. Okay. Industrial robots can't do that. They don't have the sensors in there. Okay. And and again, any of the torque sensing that they're doing is a much higher level of, equates to a much higher level of force. And so if they did it, you would be really applying some force and it wouldn't know the difference between, uh, they're just not set up for that. It, it might not know the difference between I'm crashing or you're telling me to move somewhere. Oh, okay. Okay. Because that's really what those are is more for crash uh, sensors crash crash detection and a direct teach is not a crash <laughs> i i would like to see one day uh an industrial robot company add sensors force sensors for direct teach but still remain industrial and, oh because it, it because of this fact that everyone loves the direct teach now again the sales and marketing people uh and i tell our salespeople to not to not to sell it this way it's very easy for them to come in and they'll do the direct teach and show you how you can go in and pick something up with their little, you know, desktop demo and things of that nature. And then they'll say, make this statement. And that's all you have to do. You can program it yourself. 
Oh, that's not the case. It's not the case because every robot has to have all of the what ifs, you know, all of the error, what we call error, error, error handling. So if there is a crash, how do you recover from that? If, if you're in a certain posture when something happens, how do you get out of that in a way that's safe to the, to the robot, safe to the equipment around there, safe to the people around there? So if you're reaching in a hole, you may not want to go straight up because you'll crash again. Uh, you have to know where you are and be able to do those recoveries. And, and so those kind of things have to be thought through. Do they, those get programmed beforehand? Yes. Okay. okay. So, but, but the direct teach can be utilized if you're a good programming company like Elitech, if you're doing your job correctly. If, you, if you're an integrator that's programming this, you can set it up to where paths are being utilized. But you still have to make sure that if I'm in a weird posture and suddenly they change the path to where it's it's odd, you know, there's there's a chance you can get it mess, messed up from the original process. So you you can call paths and and allow users end users to to go in and just you know put it in a mode that says okay teach me what the path should be and they do a path but if they take a path that's totally out of out of whack it could it can mess up the next move that comes after that okay or the recoveries that are related and that kind of stuff so that that's why with us we we do training mm-hmm. uh, with with our systems uh, we we want to make sure that everybody knows even if even if we've written done the integration on it and written the program so that these paths can be touched up, if you will. We want to make sure they understand what are the confines that works with the program, and if those confines need to change, we need to modify the programs or, or things of that nature. Or we work with them to, to do best practices on how to do that. But at the end of the day, direct teach is a much easier means. Grabbing the robot and moving it to a point and saying, teach the point, or grabbing the robot and moving it through a path and say, this is how I would do it. Again, we're talking about primarily menial tasks is what we're shooting for. Uh, and we'll talk about some of those classifications later. But sometimes those tasks also require finesse from the human point of view. And programming finesse and in industrial, all that kind of, yeah. <laughs> it's a little, it could actually be a little easier because just we were talking about RPAs and how they record mouse clicks and keyboard clicks. Uh-huh. With direct teach, you can record those motions. And so if the operator is able to actually be in a situation where they can grab the robot, move it in this direct teach mode in a fashion similar to what they would do, and then do the wiggle jiggle, it'll Uh record the wiggle jiggle. Oh. Because it's recording all of what they do. And then when you call it, it's going to do it every time. Now. Oh, but not every time it needs it. Right. So that's, that's where you've got to think in terms of. They're still not people. Mm-hmm. So there's applications that make sense for collaboratives, and there are applications that don't. There's applications that make sense for industrial, and there's applications that don't. But cost-wise, you can get a um, – because you're you're having to pay some extra for all those force sensors. And so you can get an industrial robot with the same payload, higher speed capabilities and accuracy, but it does have to be guarded – but you can get that for less sometimes than a collaborative solution. It all depends on the application, doesn't it? Yeah. And then the guarding may get you up there, but if it's significantly less, which sometimes they are, you can pay for, for you didn't take a whole lot to pay for guarding. Okay. Okay. So it's kind of back and forth, but, but collaboratives have some unique 
things that you can do. You yeah. get you thinking outside of the box that we normally think in, in terms of programming and use. Do you want to go over some of the applications? Absolutely. So I was looking through some, and the one I thought would be interesting would be welding. Well, what Do you want to talk about how, how cobots are better at welding? Than, or maybe <laughs> not. I don't know. Well, we there, there are... there we. We've been doing industrial weld cells with industrial robots for years. You, you've heard me say that I think welding is the perfect, one of the, among the perfect collaborative jobs. And welding, but welding is different, but welding's a science. Welding's an art. And so a good, well, you can talk to Todd, a good, and compare him to me. I mean, he's a thousand <laughs> times better than I am. Both of us can say, yeah, we can weld, but you can tell the difference. You, oh. You'll look at his weld and you'll be like, that's fantastic. You look at mine and it's like, golly, but I'm not a welder. <laughs> Welding is a science. And so, and then you also have things like, uh, we're talking about specifically MIG welding, most cases. But uh, in MIG welding, there's a wire that's that's driven out by a motor, okay. a feed motor, uh, out of a, a, a weld head. Uh, that wire is electrified so that when it touches the part, which is grounded or positively or negatively charged, it creates an electric arc. Well, that electric arc melts the wire and heats up, the, of course, the material, the metal that you're on there, and so you have hopefully enough electricity to get a lot of heat on both the metal part, and then of course the wires melting, and you get good penetration, and it blends the wire, the melted wire, with the the surface of the melting metal, and it bonds. It creates a weld, and so you have to do that while you're moving, typically, unless you're tacked welding. I talked about the industrial robot, you know, the big car companies, the automakers, and how they come down and you just see one burst of sparks yeah so that's tack welding it's just doing a quick little weld yeah okay it's not doing a continuous weld okay so tack welding's you know done a little differently than continuous welding uh but but as the reason i say that i think that's a good collaborative one especially if you're doing the same weld over and over in a fixtured environment most parts are fixtured which we want the repeatability in any robot style we want the repeatability but a collaborative robot needs to do two things. It needs to move slowly and fairly accurately. It needs to have a light payload. Well, a MIG head is very fairly light on a weld head, and you don't weld fast. You have to weld fairly slow, relatively. Okay. So it would fall, I think it would fall definitely below the safety concerns. So really the only guarding you need is... For your eyes. It's for your eyes. Yeah, the weld curtains or, or something like okay. that. Okay. So that the arc flash doesn't you know, getting people's eyes that are around. But you need that for any kind of welding, uh-huh. whether it's a person, an industrial robot, or anything. So I've often said that I think welding would be a good collaborative application, but you have to combine that with your welder. And that's where the robot and the welder have to kind of work together. So if the, for some reason, the arc uh, that you've created extinguishes, if it goes out, then you need to stop, especially the wire still feeding. You need to stop the feed on the wire. Yeah. What's according to what's what's controlling that? So there's there's those kind of detectors that usually come in with the the robotic welding equipment. Those kind of things that's still got to be there. But if you had a situation where, with the, coming back to the direct teach, where you could have a person emulate what they normally do, uh-huh. then recording that path could be doable. Uh, from a collaborative standpoint. Again, the robot, the brand of robot, that kind of thing, you got to make sure from an electrical standpoint that, you know, it's grounded, that you don't have any 
like all those that weld current doesn't run through the robot and oh, fry yeah. the controller or anything like that. So you got to make sure. And 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 then of course I'm talking in general here. The uh, the manufacturers need to have a say on whether or not they're they want their collaborative robots in a welding application or not. Because again, uh, there is electricity involved, fairly good currents because you're creating an, an arc. And if it went through the wrong path to ground, it, it could be like a lightning strike. Oh goodness! <laughs> and so you don't want to damage anything. But I've just I've just always thought that that would be a, a good one to do. Now we haven't done personally. Elatech hasn't done any collaborative based welding projects. But because of the speed, primarily because of the speed in the direct teach, I just think it would yeah, lend itself to because that. Because industrial robot, you'd have to program. You have to program it all that, yeah. and with the other. Well, with industrials, you have. Again, coming into that whole dance between the robot and the weld system, you have height detection, so it send, it automatically senses how high it is and feeds that back to the robot if it needs to make corrections. You have, the, of course, the arc sense. You have all these different things that's going on to make sure that everything about the welder is operating correctly, that your height's correct. And then it's just about, you know, managing you're managing your height and adjusting that, but you're also... Uh, managing your rate, how fast you're, you're going, and then your direction. Welding isn't just a straight move forward, typically. You, you really, if you watch a person weld, they're, they're making like tiny circles or she mar, uh, C, C shapes, I guess you would say. Okay. It's kind of, it, it kind of creates a, a wavy look. So you're kind of moving forward and moving back, moving forward, and moving back. So, uh, whether or not you have the robot doing that really comes down to what you're doing in the application. It's a specialized thing. Sounds it's like still it. going to be specialized. But I think from a collaborative standpoint, you could get away with less guarding. Okay. Because it's of the collaborative sensors versus the industrial, which is going to have to still have all the guards. Because, you know, it just has the capability to 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 do some damage. Yeah. Robots are not... St- little safe, friendly things. Uh, I've, I've been in situations, and, and we take it very seriously in our shop, that even a small robot, small arm industrial robot, will very quickly hurt you if you're not careful. Okay. And it's easy to get really comfortable with them. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, it, it ne- they need to be respected. They're fast and they're powerful. And again, if they don't sense you as a hitting a wall and sensing the crash then they'll blow right through you like the cardboard box. Wow, wow. And so don't lax on the safety portion with industrial robots. You you, you have to have safety. Collaborative, yeah. It's it's up to the it's up to the safety coordinator. <laughs> Risk I just, assessment. <laughs> I just haven't met the safety coordinator that's willing to put their name on the line. So um, uh, welding can I was thinking we could talk about the industries per application, but it seems like some of them kind of mix together. Do you want to do that or do you want to some of them do and so so welding is sort of like dispensing but not really (laughs) you take out all the you take out all the smart stuff (laughs) that you have to do all the the art uh work of of welding because welding is a science i mean it is but dispensing and gluing is not necessarily that scientific you need to follow a path you need to follow a certain velocity or, or rate if you go too fast, it won't leave a bead or those kind of things. It's according to how you're dispensing. If you're dispensing a continuous bead of glue or silicone or whatever you're putting on, uh, epoxy, that kind of stuff. Or if you're spraying, 
sometimes it's a spray, more of a spraying application. Well, dispensing glue and spraying glue, well, that's a lot like painting. So paint comes into play. But paint, of course, is typically explosive. So collaborative robots, to my knowledge, are not don't meet the classifications to be in an explosive, explosion-proof type environment. So uh, maybe someone out there makes one. We certainly don't. Uh, we would not put one of our collaborative robots you know, with a spray gun on the end spraying paint. It's just, it's just unsafe and OSHA would not agree with it either. <laughs> and neither would the manufacturers. That's not how it's meant to be used. But dispensing glue, as long as it's not, uh, you know, a highly flammable type of glue media and things of that nature, if it's a fairly inert. Glue that goes onto like the envelope. That or the stuff we've done uh, in, in automotive is, um, so engine components get you. They put on some type of a, a gasket seal or something like that sealant. Okay. And so we would follow the edges of all the machined parts and dispense the glue, and then you know the thing would a part would be placed by an operator or something like that and moved on. Uh, so maybe it's going down a conveyor or something like that. But you can dispense. You can do that with industrial robots as well. But again, collaborative robots come down to, in my opinion. Not so much about the lack of safety, because it needs to still have a full safety risk assessment, uh, and safety will be required to a point. But it really comes down to the direct teach portion okay, and being able to modify those paths or teach new points. Without having to program it. Without having to grab a pendant, and, and, and because the pendant programming, it's not like it's that hard, but it does take class time to get to know it. And then if you don't do it often... Oh, you forget. <laughs> you forget how to do it, and then of course a lot of these a lot of these uh, companies uh, have three different manufacturers of robots, and oh. so the each pendant is oh different is specific got, oh, to the robot, yeah, and um, that kind of thing. But with with collaboratives, they pretty much all have a direct teach capability, and it's just a matter of remembering how to get it into that mode in the right spot, and then you just grab it and go. So if you're wanting to create a new part path for, you know, something changed on the glue dispense and now you don't need to go out to this point anymore, you need to change the path here, you know, you can do that fairly easily without having to really be a programmer. You just, it's kind of what you see is what you get. You move it in the way that you want it to move and then it'll, it'll follow, follow suit. And so I think that then tied together with the fact that you can you're going to, I think you're going to have guarding, but that guarding is not going to be as substantial as the industrial is. Okay. Uh, so again, doing the light safety light scanner and nothing else with a collaborative is certainly a possibility, uh, as long as you're not impeded by anything to where somebody can get between it, the scanner and it. But if it does, the collaborative sensors, force sensors are still there. Yeah. Again, you can turn that sensitivity way up so that it's not as sensitive, or way down, I guess you would say. So it's adjustable? It is adjustable usually. In our robots, it's, it's adjustable. Okay. Because sometimes, and this is where we certainly use the scanners, is if no one's in our proximity, we're going to act more industrial than collaborative. I understand. But we can adjust that level of sensitivity on the fly. So if someone gets closer, we can slow down, but we can also turn the sensitivity up. Okay. And we're, okay, I'm going to plug it because I'm just excited about it. We are recently have been awarded a partnership or, or we're in partnership with Hanwha Robotics. And with their arms, 
They're not the light aluminum-based arms that so many are. They're actually a cast arm, and they have the ability. And this is what I think, if everyone's being honest, everyone wants, like I alluded to earlier, everyone wishes that there was an industrial, fully industrial robot, which means high-speed, high-accuracy, mm-hmm. that had direct-to-teach capability. So you could safely do a direct teach and then walk out, close the door on the guarding, and let it just scream. Do its stuff. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's what that's what I think everyone wants. And so everyone tries to get that out of collaboratives that are on the market now. And what they're finding is, is the collaborative is not built for that because it's built so ultra light. The uh, HDR series from Hanwha is getting us very close to that. It's not an industrial robot. It's still a collaborative robot. But because we can turn that up and because of the construction being more industrial than mm-hmm. this ultralight collaborative, light aluminum construction, we can handle moving fairly quicker uh, and not have to worry about nuisance trips and things of that nature with, with the sensors thinking that, oh, this might be a person. But you have to do that with with something like a safety light scanner. You have to do that safely. You have to prepare for that. So it's kind of like the industrial safety scanners on the industrial robots that I was telling you about earlier that it can sense when someone's in there with it. Well, it's going to stop. When in our case, we won't necessarily have to stop. We can slow down. We can turn up the sensitivity on the sensors and go into a collaborative, safe collaborative speed that most safety coordinators would be and health safety folks would be happy with and then but then as soon as someone leaves we can kick back into the higher speed turn those sens- oh it can be that down. quick yeah yeah oh yeah. okay okay That's and nice. so it, it, there's no reason to have to go slow all the time so industrial robots don't have to do that but if someone gets in their way they stop they have to industrial ro- industrial but- robots but a collaborative robot would, oh. would slow down. It okay. doesn't have to stop. Okay. Did I say it backwards? I thought industrial robots would just run into you. Well, I mean, if it's done safely, okay. it will stop. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> if there's no safety, yeah, it'll keep going and just bonk you in the head or something. But uh, uh, no, I'm saying that if it's guarded with the safety, safety scanner okay. and some set of hard guarding, if you get into its zone, it has to stop. I understand. Has to stop. I got you. But the cobot would just slow down. The cobot could, if the risk analysis says it's allowed, could slow down to a speed that's safe enough for whatever tooling that it's carrying and the operation that it's doing. Okay. So that it's not the chance, the chance of, the amount of risk, I guess, is what it comes down to. uh, If there is an interaction between it or its tooling and a human being, is minimized. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Do you want to uh, go through the next ones? We did dispensing and gluing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So the um, dispensing and gluing, they're, it's good in the medical and elect- electronic and alternative energy, oil and gas, and food. Mm-hmm. Hanwha. The HCR5, five, yeah. five kilogram robot. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. So that's the other thing we love about the Hanwha is they are, they are, they're HCR5, only the five kilogram model is full clean room rated. And so uh, in a lot of those applications you just rattled off, that's very important. And actually in electronics, uh, manufacturing, things of that nature, clean room is getting more and more required. Mm -hmm. So the fact that we can have a robot, collaborative robot that is clean room rated is certainly, uh, certainly advantageous. Yeah. 
so so then we have we talked about dispensing gluing. What about pick and place? Pick and place again. That's great for. Uh, collaboratives, but you have to have certain things come into play. Now we can add vision systems and things of that nature. You have to be able to see where the part is, yeah, uh, or it needs to be fixtured. And so if it can come down and consistently presented, you don't need the vision systems. Oh, but there again, very easy from a direct teach standpoint to program that to say, okay, come down to this point for this particular part. You're going to come here. Uh, and then we're going to tell the gripper to close, and then you're going to come up here, and you're going to move over here, and you're going to come down here, and we're going to tell the gripper to open. Of course, there's palletizing routines and things of that nature that are canned and in, in most collaboratives nowadays uh, to where you can say, I'm, I'm choosing one point in an array, if you will, so okay. in rows and columns, and I'm just going to tell you what the offset distances are. And so you're just going to go from left to right for this many pieces, and then you're going to shift down and offset and go from left to right for that many same number of pieces and that's called palletizing routines and so that's where we're we're you're not having to teach every one of those points placement points as long as the product's consistent you can do that and direct teach makes that extremely easy to do and then it's just a matter of do it okay so pick and place is is that kind of thing. So you don't have to have advanced vision systems then. Well, the vision systems, I mean, all the vision system does is give a robot eyes, and so there's there's of course there's standard vision systems which which really are two D, just looking at X Y, and and maybe in a, a rotation angle, uh, if you have to pick it up from a rotational standpoint. Uh, but it but it doesn't really tell you the height, and so that's a three D based system, and there are three D systems out there. All of these have cost and and some level, according to the brand, I guess, some level of complexity. They have to be programmed in mm-hmm. a certain way, and then they have to communicate, so there's communications and that kind of stuff. The thing that makes cobots so great is you can put them in applications where they don't have to interact with anything. Oh, so you could just let them, pro- you could just direct teach them and then walk off and let it go? Well, they don't have to if they're interacting with a with a machine, there's clever ways to not have to cut a strip a single wire, not have to set up field bus communications or any kind of communications link between the machine and, and the robot. It doesn't work all the time, but there's some clever ways to do it. And so we we'll, I want to talk about some of those. Uh, we're not quite there yet okay. in your list. So you mentioned uh, on the on the list here, pick and place, but also quality inspection and testing. Again, quality test quality checks. The cobot could grab it, go in, do some things with it, put it in front of sensors, put it through uh, in in mic micrometers, things of that nature. Whatever we're doing for QA inspections, or maybe it's a vision inspection. Uh, it's possible to pass apart beneath a fixed camera. You can pass the, you can hook the camera onto the robot and move it over the part. But remember, every robot, including industrial robots, is always moving on a small level because it's servos and they're always adjusting. And vision systems, or especially highly accurate vision systems, high, high, what we call high pixel count, uh, vision systems can pick that up. And it can cause issues with the vision system if the robot's trying to hold the, the camera. Oh. But if the camera is fixed onto a rigid deal and it picks up the part and can move it beneath the camera, that works nearly all the time. Okay. That's the ideal setup? Yeah. Okay. And so you really got to look at your application, what you're doing there. But that quality, again, quality inspection, you can see how that direct teach would come into play. Uh, and also, uh, according to the part 
weight, or if you're reading a barcode or whatever you're doing, the barcode scanner, those kind of things. Again, typically we pick up the part and move it beneath those things. Okay. But even if you're moving the cameras, they're fairly lightweight. And so you can you can do that, especially if it's a huge part, you know, or very, very heavy part. You can move those things around. Barcode scanners are nowadays so so doggone good. And of course, we combine that w- with some of our stuff with our data logic stuff, so we can read barcode, read barcodes, and do uh, image inspection and things of that nature. But even if you had to do two things, uh, you could have a barcode scanner on the end and also a camera on the end, and do a rotation or something like that, so you can use each one. Oh, but you still have to trigger those things. So. There's there's interaction. Usually that's controlled by the robot. A lot of those are smart enough uh, to do that. We have, have companies that build uh, grippers and di- different types of end-of-arm tooling that work directly with our robots to simplify that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that that's going to be kind of the same with industrial as far as that interaction. Okay. That's still not the most clever way to use yeah. a cobot. Um, so let's, let's keep going down your list because I know it's coming. Machine tending. Exactly. And yeah. so here is where I think cobots are fairly a no-brainer because of the direct teach. But also, when I remember when I first, there was a time that I first showed a video of, collaborative, of a collaborative robot being used to our engineers and it was a machine tending, a very simple machine tending op- application where basically the collaborator was reaching in small parts, small payload, but okay. he was reaching into this machine. Well, first the, ma- the machine had a door, but it starts with the door open, so a sliding door that slid left to right. Okay. Uh, it it might have been a lathe. It might have been a machining center. I don't remember. Uh, it may have been a press, but it had a door, a uh, safety door that had to be closed. So the video starts and that door is already open, and the robot grabs the uh, a part, it's empty, and the machine's empty. So it grabs a, a blank part and reaches in, puts it in place. And then it comes back out, and it's got a, a little appendage, if you will, like on a the finger? end of arm tooling, like a finger. Okay. And it reaches over, and it grabs the handle on the door, and it pulls the door closed. And then it takes that same appendage, and it goes over, and it presses the start cycle button. All right. The machine starts running. And when it completes, uses the same finger to open the door, Goes in, gets the part, drops it out, does the process again. Well, as soon as that robot used that little finger to push that start button, I bet that changed all the, the controls world. engineers in the room did exactly <laughs> what I was hoping they would do, and they erupted and said, "Why would you do that? Why wouldn't you connect I/O? Why wouldn't you do a field bus? Why don't you do all this kind of stuff?" And and the, my point was because you got to think differently or you're allowed to think differently with a collaborative robot because of this direct teach and because of the fact that you don't have to be a controls engineer and you don't have to be a programmer you can anybody can make a finger <laughs> you can put a <laughs> screw print. on the end you can 3d <laughs> oh, print yeah. some whatever you can make a finger and and that'll push a start button and and if if there's no danger of the machine starting, you know, on its own and that kind of stuff, then you can do that that way. And of course, the question I got, and if you're listening to this, hopefully you're thinking the same thing. Well, wait a second. You got to have some interaction with that machine to know when it's done. When yeah. did it finish processing and the parts now available to come in and get? Well, all these machines nowadays have some, some tell to, to be able to tell that for the most part. A lot of times it's a stack light. 
Oh, okay. And so we can install a sensor on the stack light that just looks at the light. And when that light comes on, it tells the robot, okay, do your thing. Wow. Now, that's a that's a very easy integration because we're tying into the robot and that's it. We're not having to get involved with this machine. We're not having to split wires. We're not having to do any, you know, program it and program this one. You're able to do those kind of things and think outside of the box. And that's, what's, that's what I love about collaboratives is, is how many people have come up with stuff. You know, it's honestly the same kind of, uh, a feeling I get and level of being enamored with 3D printing. When I look at the, especially a lot of the hobby guys, but even, you know, like Matthew Stuckey, who our intern, who has done a ton and was one, you know, it doesn't have to be machined, machined uh, was the podcast episode. We were talking about 3D additive manufacturing. The stuff that he thinks about and comes up with is is just some of it genius, some of it useless, but some of it genius, because they're they're able to think outside of the box now, with our iota and the and the fact that you can grab any data you want to get from pretty much any PLC or, or or device down there now gives way to a freedom of thinking that just watching people expand their minds and collaborative robots are kind of the same way over industrial robots because this direct teach now empowers me to do something. Because I'm not a robot programmer, you know. The person may say I'm not a robot programmer, yeah. but I can, I can do end of arm tooling. I'm a mechanical guy. I can, I can put a, a shoulder bolt on the end of you know the, this robot and make a finger out of it. You know, those kind of things just make just really make me giddy. I, I love seeing folks really think out of the side of the box and do clever things like that. Uh, we talked about that even with the uh, first robotic stuff. With, with Morgan Everett, mm-hmm. when I was talking about going in there and seeing what some of those kids, sophomores, freshmen, sophomores, juniors, seniors, and looking at some of the clever things that they come up with and ways that they have applied tools that were commonly used for this, but they had repurposed them for that. And to be able to have that freedom of thinking is something a collaborative robot gives in terms of industrial manufacturing because it really comes down to that direct teach capability is you're not having to do hard programming. And then there are there are there are collaborative platforms that have been around for ages and they're still an old style of programming that I really don't prefer. I think it's hard. I think it's difficult for folks. The Hanwha interface is is a drag and drop storyline type programming. Oh. I I love it. It's just so simple to look through. It's a storyline. It's like a storyboard. And when you play it, you can see you're going through the steps. Oh, and if nice. you don't want this thing to happen, you just drag it away and it comes out of the list. And so oh, it Allison makes... Allison did that video. That's right. Yeah, she did yeah. a video on it. Allison's our, one of our sales engineers. And she made her own video for a customer to see. Uh, she had never been around that robot, ever. And and I gave her the instructions and she probably is a lot like me in that regard. The first thing she did was say, I'm not going to read the instructions. Who reads instructions? (laughs) And in 30 minutes she had, she was, she was ready to make that video. And so that's a testament to how things have progressed in this collaborative market. And so it just brings about a, a freedom of thinking outside of the box because you don't have to worry about all the reasons why you can't. Oh, nice. And so that, that's what I like about collaboratives. Now you've got also uh, assembly, uh, screwing, uh, screwdriver applications, that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
And oh, we were also we were talking about um, oh machine tending. We had plastic injection and blow molding. Yeah, that's under machine tending. Well, uh, so and that is for like the robot that was standing in front of that door, opening it and closing it. Person would have been there, right, to do that. And all day how long. long. Oh my goodness! Yeah. Could you imagine how yeah. boring that would be? Well, and, how and many podcasts could you listen in a day? Yeah, <laughs> that's the thing. Those are menial tasks. And, and they're also ergonomic uh, tasks, so they can be damaging. Again, reduction of labor, listen, it doesn't mean get rid of people, put them out in the street. What it means is reclassification. So having a person standing there all day long doing that, when there's plenty of other jobs that that person can do that a collaborative can't do, mm-hmm. is what we're talking about. And so really it comes down to ROI, uh, return on investment. Mm-hmm. But you said machine tending, and then you said injection mold machines and blow molding machines. I kind of put those in the same category because whether you're closing a clamp and injection injecting, now you may have to have a bit more interaction with those kind of things uh, because an injection mold machine typically it that's when you're injecting plastic or rubber or something like that. So there's temperatures involved and those kind of things. Oh, they've got to be overseen a little bit more. Well, when they pop the dies open, uh, it's like getting the ice cubes out of the old ice tray. Okay. So, you know, sometimes they pop right out and sometimes you really have to Wiggle crank jiggle. those things and that kind of stuff. So what they do is they install pins, steel pins or hardened pins inside the, the die that when it opens up, exposing the part, these pins basically eject the part. Oh. And so they knock it free from, from the die around it. Uh, a lot of times there's a release agent and stuff like that that comes kind of like spraying uh, Pam, it, Pam in, okay. your, in your frying pan to make your eggs come out. That's kind of thing. But, but still, uh, those pins will knock it out. Well, you don't want it knocking it out until the robot's ready to get it. Now, also, a lot of injection mold machines, and that's honestly where Hanwha got its start. Now, we don't do the injection mold robotics that they do. But, but they've been doing injection mold uh, Cartesian robots for, for years. And then they got into the collaborative market about six years ago. So they've been in it's not they're, they're not brand new. Well, they're they just were new to us. one of the first to do the autonomous. Autonomous vehicle? Yes, yeah, yes, yeah. in Korea. Yeah, in, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so that's another thing. AGVs, auto, automatic autonomous guided vehicles. Oh, thank you. Um, or automatic guided vehicles. AGVs kind of go around the plant and they're they're kind of a small box version of R2-D2, so to speak. They just roll around. They can follow paths. They can be pre-programmed. They're looking out. They've got all the LiDAR systems and stuff like that to make sure that they're not going to run into anything or anybody. But all they are, you know, they're primarily used for, they come up and stop and a person will load them with stuff and then off they go. Okay. Uh, Or take stuff off or those kind of things. But you can stick a collaborative on the back of it. Yeah. And the collaborative rides around. Oh, wow. And so when they pull up, the collaborative does some things and that kind of thing. Again, usually you're going to want some vision systems in play or those kind of things. But uh, it can be done and, and is, is becoming more and more commonplace. Well, it's it's still new, but, but we're hearing about it more often. Uh, so the AGVs and stuff. Yeah, they've done, they've been, and, but, but getting back to the injection. Sorry, mold, I didn't mold, need to go down that, <laughs> that rabbit hole. That's a totally different non-collaborative <laughs> Cartesian system that they were doing before, specifically for attending plastic injection mold type machines where you open a die, pop the part out. So this would come down and, and it's interfaced very tightly with the, the injection mold machine so that it says, okay, I'm in position, now pop the pins and that kind of thing. So usually you have to have a bit more interaction. You may have to with an injection mold machine, but 
if what you're doing, if you're just dropping parts at the end, or you have one of those systems that's taking them away once they're once they're done, you may uh, sometimes injection mold machines just make plastics. And it's just close the die, squirt in the plastic, open the die, eject the parts, close it, and just keep doing that over and over. But there are times where you have things that you need to add. So we can combine things with injection mold machines. So we can put a piece of metal in, we can put something like that, and then the injection mold machine is in, is molding around that piece. You know, it's part of it, partially or completely. Like a popsicle. Yeah, yeah, like a popsicle stick, actually. Yeah. <laughs> so you put the popsicle stick in, then you freeze it, and it comes out a popsicle. But you've got to put the stick in first. You can't put it in last. And so that is a good opportunity for a collaborative. That's a menial task, just picking stuff up and placing it in the same place and getting out of the way. Those are kind of things that can easily be done. So, uh, again... Collaboratives have a lot of different applications, a lot of different applications. The fact that the direct teach is there, not so much the safety. You got to think about the safety, Mm -hmm. but the direct teach, that's what gets your mind flowing. And then thinking outside of the box to say, I'm going to interact with this process, but I'm going to interact with it just like a human. How does a human know when the machine's done? The, The green light comes on. That's how they know. Well, let's make the robot look for the green light, too. And how does the human get the thing going? They close the door and press start. Well, okay, let's make the robot close the door and press start. That's what you want to do. And with direct teach, you can teach those things very quickly and easily and move on. And so that's the most exciting thing, I think, about that. And then you got ROI. So ROI, industrial robots, maybe... Return on investment. Return on investment. So some collaborative robots cost a bit more than industrial robots. By the time you put the guarding in there, maybe you're about the same. I'm excited to say that as far as ROI, ROI comes down to how much is is this going to cost me to implement this robot to take care of this menial task? Or sometimes you, they want to move them around. They want them on casters. So yeah. we're going to move them in and lock them in for this. They're going to do this today. And then tomorrow we're going to go over here and do this and run this other program and that kind of thing. But that's another – can they do that with industrial robots? Not as easily okay, because okay. you're having to move all the guarding too. Yeah, okay, okay. Uh, but if your only guarding is a light scanner, safety light scanner, then you can have the thing on wheels and That's true. slide it around. Yeah. Okay. So it's much, it plays into that concept a bit better. But then your ROI decides how much money am I going to have to spend? How much am I going to get out of it? So if I'm taking people and repurposing them to a, a task that we're, we're having you know, we're having to look at potentially adding more people to do, we can pull them off these menial tasks and get them involved and repurpose our our people in-house, then that's a direct labor ROI Mm -hmm. uh, because now we've got this robot doing this menial. And then also, if you're not having to deal with out it, you know, out time being out yeah. and things of that Vacations, nature. Vacations, sick well, time. Well, but but really, <laughs> COVID, COVID, those kind of things. But also ergonomics. You know, you, you can only truck drivers can only drive so much without having to take a nap. Mm-hmm. Humans must take breaks. You you must production engineers, manufacturing engineers do a great job with that, especially from the ergonomic standpoint. They'll rotate them, so you'll do this task for a while. Oh. And then you go do a different task okay. so that you're doing a different movements, yeah. not wearing the same tendons and ligaments out the whole whole time. But if you can eliminate those points that are really bad for people, then do it because it's better for your people. 
everybody's happier when they're not hurting. Yeah, yeah. And so that's what collaboratives bring about. Uh, and the ROI comes down to, you know, what, what, how quickly can I win back my investment? Mm-hmm. And Hanwha is priced so, so, so well that we quick. have one of the best ROIs in the industry. Again, I'm kind of plugging my own robot, but hey, it's my podcast. <laughs> I'm paying for the podcast. If you want to be a sponsor, then I'll plug yours, I guess. But uh, uh, I'm the sponsor. But seriously, uh, most collaborative robots, all of them support direct teach. And that really is what makes the magic happen, I think, as far as what's that old song, Free Your Mind. Okay. <laughs> so that's what gets people thinking outside of the box, thinking. Yeah. And, and it's incredible to see. All right. Did you want to go through assembly or uh, the finishing tasks? Well, we talked a little bit about that yeah. with the screwing and stuff. Again, yeah. assembly machines and screwing, screw screw drive systems. You're you're telling a screwdriver to do it, but it's really close to pick and place. Yeah, because you're you're not picking something up. So you don't have a gripper. You have a screwdriver, but you're still moving point to jump into point to point to point to point. But you're uh, you're telling a gripper to close. You're telling a screwdriver to drive. Okay. Um, and then the screwdriver tells you when it's done. You know the gripper may not. So, but as far as the programming, it's very similar to move to this position, go down here, drive a screw versus move to this position, go down here, pick up a part. So pick and place and, and assembly uh, kind of come They should play. have gone in the same, under the same thing. Now, there are some industrial and collaborative robots out there that have more than one arm. Oh. Um, we don't represent any of them, but oh, they're, okay. they're dual arm type robots. Well, and- Hanwha has one where you it can go, you have one controller. And two cobots. Well, you could do two separate arms, but I'm talking about they're connected together, like oh. a like C3PO kind of thing. Yeah. Anyway, the 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 nice thing about that is if you have you know two hands is better than one. Yeah. But if you're if you're working together, and that's what I'm talking about, having having two collaborative robots, they're still programmed separately. But with these other models, and they're more expensive models, I'm sure, but uh, uh, they actually have the ability to have two two arms that are coordinated. Wow. So one could come in and grab the part, and the other one could come in and do something to the part with the other hand. So deburring and, oh, and those kind of things. Okay. Uh, right now, to deburr a part, we may have the part, pick the part out or something, or it's in a fixture that's holding it, and then we would move the deburr tool around. To Deburring is taking rough edges off and mm-hmm. things of that nature. We may move it around, you know, a certain path. And that certainly that's a great collaborative concept or application. But if you, if the fixture, if there's a part that you can't get to because physically, because it's sitting in this fixture, if you're able to hold it, and then if that arm's able to set it down to a fixture, grab it from the other side and pick it back up, you can, the other arm comes in with the tool. Oh. And so those kind of things are pretty interesting. Yeah. We can certainly do that with two arms, but as far as those being tied together, coordinated, there are, there are robots out there that do that, both industrial and, and collaborative. Oh, okay. Again, we don't represent any. It's interesting though. I take that back. No, we, yeah, we, we don't currently represent any. If that changes, I'll let you know. Okay. Um, it makes for an interesting thing. You, you it, these are all industrial robots, but there's the bartending robots and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. The picking the, uh, yeah, we had a couple of uh, unique applications yeah. for cobots, but the picking plants, I think that was a real cobot. Yeah. But, the bartender and the All flipping the, the that hamburgers. Seen, yeah, that's flippy. not really Those are industrial robots. Okay, yeah, they're, not, okay. they're not collaborative. They've been set up with safety 
again, so that the light scanners and that kind of stuff. Well, the bartending robots are usually technically hard guarded because the bar's really long, yeah. right? And so when they're making you drinks or they're behind glass or something like that, there's there's a dual arm one that is a bartender and uh, it's pretty neat to watch. But having two arms lets lets you mix a, a good drink, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> one arm is a little a little slower. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, won't be getting your drink as fast. <laughs> that's right. But even in those situations, you know, I, I've been out in Vegas and saw so I don't remember even what brand it was, but it was they were mounted from the ceiling articulated arm robots but standard industrial robots but the the enclosure and the and the bar and stuff when they make you the drink they end up sitting on on a, a conveyor belt or something but it comes out to where you are okay either through the glass or you're you're separated so far away that you can't reach them again and and you know without climbing up on the bar and going and then there's sensors that if you try to do that they would shut down so there's safety all over the place yeah but it's fun to see yeah. some of the stuff. That's, uh, you know, that, those things are so elaborate and so expensive. I don't know what the ROI on that is. <laughs> no. I think I'd rather pay the bartender. At least I could talk to him. But uh, um, but nevertheless, it's 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 wow factor, right? It is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that's all the applications I had. Uh, oh yeah, the other one was spinal surgery. I don't. I'm not doing it. <laughs> <laughs> or co-pilot. Yeah. Yeah, Would you I'm... want a, a cobot as a co-pilot? I don't. I don't think I need that. Uh, I've got a very good <laughs> autopilot that works. Uh, I don't know. I don't even know what that would look like. But that's that out of box thinking. Yeah, I guess. it's um, fantastic. People are trying different things. I don't know. I don't know if I want that airplane flying over my house though. <laughs> and get a couple couple more hours of uh, of testing on that. You know, one thing we do have though, and this is a good segue to our pre-engineered work work cells robotic work cells, and that's uh, that certainly Hanwha is part of that. So the stands all integrated, and what those are, you know, we're talking about this empowerment and how direct teach can bring out these these thoughts because because the fact that you don't have to be uh, for certain things, you don't have to be uh, this top-notch programmer. Uh, and then well, I talked about the simplicity of our Hanwai interfaces and that kind of stuff with the drag and drop. Now, certainly with our industrial robots, they're still teach pendant based and, and they have to be because it's just a different different product for different applications. But a collaborative robot being able to do uh, the direct teach and, and the simplified programming is what it's all about. Uh, so the engineered work cells, the robotic work cells, the idea is that we take care of a lot of the the heavy lifting and meet the customer where they need us to be. Mm-hmm. And so instead of them just here's a robot, good luck. Yeah, they may say we're comfortable doing the programming, even with our industrial product. Uh, they have that capability, but what they don't have is they don't have the fabrication to fabricate the tables, and maybe they want to do hard guarding or lock curtains or safety scanners or need a place to mount the controller or that kind of thing. And if it's the collaboratives, they want the the stand to be you know adjustable so that it can handle the capacity, maybe on wheels, maybe they're going to nail it to the floor, whatever. Those things are already engineered, so you don't have to pay for the engineering again on those. And and of course we don't hit. All of them. We hope to hit 85% of, of the things out there. But if the if you're an end user and you feel like uh, I can take care of my own end of arm tooling, we can we've got a you know a machine shop or a machine shop we deal with or something. We can design it up and we can program it. But we don't want to have to deal with all the other stuff, the pedestals, the stands, the tables, that kind of thing. We've got those all built up already. Mm-hmm. We can tie in the safety circuits and everything like that. If you want us to help with end of arm tooling, 
programming integration, that kind of stuff. We certainly can. We've got the vision systems and all that kind of stuff that we can add on. But the idea is instead of being typical robot integrator where we go in and say, here's your price for everything turnkey, which we can certainly do, we want to leave some some spots open for those folks that do have that capability mm-hmm. in-house. And they say, we can take care of this, this, and this, if you all can take care of the rest. That's what we're wanting to do, and that's what we accomplish with those. And so, so far, those things have been a hit, and they're mm-hmm. growing more and more in popularity. Um, and so we want to make sure that you all know about that. You can go to our website, www.elitech.com. That's E-L-L-I-T-E-K.com, and check those out. But the, the Hanwha robots, Clabber robots are part of that. So, and then the industrial robots are also part yes, of that. Yes, yes. They do what they can do, and we'll fill in the blanks. We, yeah. We want to meet our customers where, where, where they are. Yeah. And, um, and so it's, it, it's a good opportunity for them to save some money, potentially, and, and get, get a lot of productivity done. And it's quick install. Should be. Should be. <laughs> uh, I mean, if I all you're doing is a robot. Now, you, a lot of times there's other things around that robot. And if you're doing the environment tooling and that kind of stuff, you know, you certainly have to get that put together. But our engineers work closely with your alls to make sure you have what you need. And uh, we'll go from there. So um, we, we're, but but overall, we're excited about this. And the fact that industrial automation, it doesn't have to be menial. menial. Yeah, yeah. I loved your uh, outlook on the cobots. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's it's, it's fantastic. <laughs> it, it really is because it's opened a whole new door. I mean, it, a whole new world. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's amazing to see how people are thinking to use these things. And again, you, you enable them, you empower them, and and minds can start Let working freely. Yeah. yeah, knocks down a couple of obstacles and move. But remember, they're still robots. They are, and they need to be treated, and and there needs to be a risk assessment, and be careful, especially industrial robots. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we don't want to take away from that. So Beth, yes, Brandon. rolling to the end yeah. of yet another. How many downloads we got now? Oh, it's over eleven hundred. We're <laughs> yeah, we're it's it's doing good. So at the last, thank you guys for downloading and listening, yeah. rating and reviewing. Yeah, good job, guys. Good job. Yeah, last podcast I was saying we were coming up on yeah. eclipsing eleven hundred. So now we've done that. So. Beth Elliott, eleven hundred plus. <laughs> no, it's 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 because of the fantastic content that you and the guests have provided, and our listeners. Thank yeah. you guys for listening. I yeah, absolutely. It. And then one last congratulations. I've been referring to this her as this for the last couple of podcasts, and seeing if anybody knows. Beth is officially promoted to our marketing manager. She is it. She is running the show. And so congratulations. Thank you, Brandon. I do appreciate it. Yeah. And I will do my best to live up to the manager part. Well, yeah, I'm sure you're going to do great. What that really means, guys, is I don't have to do as much anymore because I'm no good at it and she's no. fantastic at it. So congratulations on that. I'm excited about that. So guys, listen. Have a fantastic week. If you want to reach out to us. Oh, sorry. Uh, Marketing. Our, our phone. <laughs> I know. Come on, man. <laughs> Go ahead. Our phone number is 865-409-1555. If you want to visit our website, it's elitech, E-L-L-I-T-E-K.com. And then we've got LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Uh, basically, some form of elitech on every one of those. I think LinkedIn is elitech dash Inc. Hyphen. Sorry. Hyphen. I'm messing with you. Inc. Uh, and then uh, uh, Facebook. Is it Facebook that's underscore? Facebook and Instagram are just Elitech. Just Elitech. Mm-hmm. So it's Twitter. 
Yeah, yes. that's the Elotech underscore Inc. Mm-hmm. So check us out. Uh, like she says, rate and review, uh, subscribe. Uh, we appreciate everybody that has, and we'll continue to do these things. So hopefully you're getting a lot out of it. So once again, now that the marketing's done, so marketing. <laughs> Have a great week, everybody. And uh, we'll, uh, I guess, two weeks, we'll, we'll, we'll be out with another one. Every other Tuesday. That's right. So take care, Beth. Thank you, Brian. I appreciate your time. See you guys. 